Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro, and I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our key word today is rhythms. This is part two of finding God's rhythms for your life, finding God's rhythm for your life, part two. And this word rhythm is such a core word for every leader. It's actually a core word for every disciple of Jesus, because without rhythm, we miss the whole purpose of our lives. Now, articles have been written about the interruption epidemic and how interruptions impact our brain and our ability to regulate our attention and focus. And that the more we check our messages, email or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, the more we feel the need to check them. That's why technology can be so addicting. And so rather than us controlling our attention, we squander it in whatever kind of grabs us or captures our attention. But rhythms are a way to screen the noise all around us, especially in our high-tech world, and to get our brains strengthened in paying attention uh, to God and what he's doing in and all around us. So again, we don't miss God's purpose for our lives and our days. So so the rhythms I want to talk to you about uh, in this session is about deliberately structuring our lives around some ancient treasures of spirituality that give us rhythms uh, so we can live a powerful life uh, anchored in Jesus. Also a calm and a contented and a relaxed life that's bearing fruit for Jesus flowing out of us. So I want to break it down into four areas. And uh, daily, which I spoke about uh, in last week's podcast uh, in the daily office, and weekly, uh, in Sabbath, annually, and then uh, on sabbatical years or, or every seven to ten years having another idea of sabbatical. So it's really in four areas. And let me just say as I begin this that that as I think about rhythms in my own life, I I recognize that I am fragile. That without li- without rhythms, uh, for me, and when I get off of my rhythms, uh, I get into a very bad place. Uh, I can't mess around with my rhythms actually uh, as a leader because I've got some serious brokenness in me. Uh, you know, I get very dangerous. I end up overfunctioning when I'm not living my rhythms, I get off center, I say things I shouldn't be saying, I make decisions that are premature, are out of line with what God might have for me, I end up crossing boundaries, I'm not present with people, my wife, my kids. Um, I I recognize I can't work like perhaps some other leaders can, I have limits. Uh, And these limits uh, are are so significant that when I cross them, I get into uh, the enemy's territory. And so I like to say, when I think of my family of origin, my genogram, I lost a leg in a war, uh, and I'm fragile. You know, I was at an AA meeting recently, and I I love AA meetings because I I love the tremendous brokenness in the room. I mean, it's what church really should be uh, all about. And uh, as one fellow said so eloquently, you know, I I cannot take even one drink uh, or else, you know, I could be dead because it just takes them on a bad road. In the same way for me, my daily, weekly, annual uh, every seven to ten year rhythms are are so critical for me, or else I just get into a bad place. In fact, this word rhythms is so important that we have built it as the core of the emotionally healthy discipleship course for all churches. Uh, that people would learn to begin building in rhythms, and so we introduce folks to the daily office and Sabbath. Uh, and so again, I want to encourage you to, to get a hold of that emotionally healthy discipleship kit. If you have not yet, go on our website, uh, get trained. Our next one's in March twenty ninth. Uh, get trained on how to use it, and then do it in your church or in your ministry with your team. But rhythms are the most difficult part of the course uh, for everybody all over the world, because again, it's so revolutionary in a world so distracted like ours. So again, our our, our dream and our vision is Jesus has brought the kingdom of God to earth 
uh, in his person. And there's a feast that's on. And that feast is, is all centered, centered and anchored on, around Jesus. And so he gives us freedom. Uh, now, salvation is by grace into freedom, and we want to enjoy and live out of that freedom. So last week, we began by talking about the daily office and uh, a daily fixed hours of where we stop and we pause to be with God. And there's two elements that are fi- that are in that silence and stillness is, is a part of it. And then secondly, some scripture or something devotional. And I shifted the name from devotionals to daily office because it's a historic word. It goes way back. The word office means in the original Latin, the work of God. In other words, the most important work all of us have, regardless of what your role is in life, whether you're retired uh, from your occupation you had your whole life, whether you're president, whether you're a pastor, whether you are a youth leader, it doesn't matter. Your number one work is the same as my number one work, and that is to be with God. And it's based on Psalm 27, 4, where David writes, and he was a king who had tremendous responsibilities on him. And he writes, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. And that the number one work for you, the number one work for me, is to seek God, to be with God, to gaze on his beauty. And that's what the daily office is really all about. And uh, it's, it's and so that, that rhythm we talked about last week, uh, for me, has been life and death. And so, uh, you know, again, it, it's, it's breaking up that day. Uh, it goes back again to ancient Judaism. We see it in David's life. We see it in Daniel's life. And, uh, and so it's a, uh, it's four, I, I look at three times a day as a minimum for me in the morning. I have some time with God, and then midday I have a, a midday prayer, and then I have evening prayer. Uh, always have something called Compline right before I go to bed. I have an evening office, but my day I structure it around stopping to be with God, seeking His face, pausing, remembering Him, so that when I'm active the rest of the day, I'm remembering His love, I'm remembering His presence, I'm remembering God. So I don't live as a functional atheist, as if you know, God's not even there. I want to be aware of his presence all through the day. That's my goal. And so stopping, as David understood and Daniel understood, and as, you know, ancient Jews understood in the times of Jesus and monastics understood all through church history is that pausing uh, enables me to be aware and present and prayerful to God all the rest of the day when I'm active. That's the daily office. But today I want to move on to number two, the second rhythm, which is so critical, which is Sabbath. The Sabbath rhythm where one day a week I actually take a 24-hour period where I stop my work, I rest, I delight in God, I I, I contemplate Him. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a day set apart from the other days um, for a Sabbath. Now, I actually began Sabbath-keeping uh, in 1996 where I got exposed to the 3,500-year history of Judaism with Sabbath-keeping, but I really got into it in 2003 and I actually learned it from the inside. Sabbath, much like silence and stillness, and even this discussion on rhythms we're having right now, you really can't learn it in a book. You've got to learn it from the inside. In other words, the more you get into it, the more you'll grasp it. Uh, it's like trying to teach someone how to study the Bible that's not studying the Bible, or how to pray, but they don't pray. From the inside, it begins to make sense. But it's a spiritual practice. I'm not talking about a legalism, nor am I talking about something being irrelevant. I'm talking about a 24-hour period spiritual practice uh, now, Jerry and I, we do ours uh, from 6 p.m. Friday night to 6 p.m. on Saturday night. It's actually so in our bodies now. We've been doing it for so long. Uh, we actually feel it when we don't. Uh, it's, it's As the Bible says, it's holy. It's set apart. It's, it's a day holy to the Lord. It's, it's distinct from the other days. And it's a structure to actually build uh, doing nothing into our schedules. But it's as radical today as it is as it, is when, as it was when it was given in Exodus chapter 20 by Moses. Uh, at Mount Sinai. 
an act, it's the longest of the Ten Commandments, it's the most detailed of the Ten Commandments, and as most rabbis will tell you, it's the key to keeping the other nine. And again, so it refers to this 24-hour period, and here's what it says in um, uh, Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord our God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And what's important to notice there, it's a command, not a suggestion. Uh, and actually we, we heard ourselves, because Jesus said, I, the Sabbath wasn't made for God. You, were, you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you, Mark 2, 27. In other words, it's a gift to receive. And in all the seven major arguments where Jesus has with the Pharisees in, in the New Testament, he doesn't abolish the Sabbath, but he restores it to its original intention in God, which is freedom, which is gift to receive. In fact, uh, in the Exodus 20 account, it's built into God's nature and our nature to have a rhythm. It's hardwired into us. Uh, and we're to imitate God in that rhythm. And once you begin to have a rhythm of working, paid and unpaid work six days, and actually having a Sabbath the other, you begin to find that your body was actually made for it, and you wonder, how did I ever live without this? So you'll notice in, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, when the work was completed, God stopped working, stopped doing, making, speaking. And uh, it's a deliberate act of Sabbath, of, of receiving grace. And so on Sabbath, we, we actually stop. Number one, we let God take care of us. We let go. We do self-care. The culture says you are what you do. We reject that power and principality. The Israelites lived as slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They didn't have any Sabbath rest for 400 years. They worked seven days a week, all year long. That was their DNA. That's some of our DNA. And some of us feel guilty or unproductive or inefficient. We're not accomplishing anything. We're wasting time. And, And we live like we're slaves, like there's a pharaoh inside of us driving us and we can't stop. But the Lord says, no, you're free. By grace, I've made you free people. Now you are to have a Sabbath. I've created you for a love relationship with me. And Sabbath actually takes us to the heart of the gospel, the heart of grace, that you are loved irrespective of your performance. You stand before God in the record of Jesus, not your own record, his past performance, not your own. It's his righteousness, not yours. And so that's the difference between a day off and a Sabbath. A day off is simply a day off to rest and do what you want to do. A Sabbath is, is receiving grace. It's to the Lord our God. It's, it, it, it's got certain elements to it. And in 2003, when I actually dug into this and knew this was a key spiritual practice, uh, much like prayer and Bible study and worship, not that I was saved by, but it was critical for a life of formation in Jesus. Uh, I read everything I could on Sabbath. I mean, I read you know, every book available within evangelicalism at the time. I read a number of Jewish you know, authors and commentaries on it, talk with rabbis, try to understand what is core to make Sabbath a Sabbath. And I ended up with those four elements, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate, to break it down. And so again, I stopped my work on Sabbath, number one, and I, then I rest. Uh, I rest from hurrying, I rest from multitasking, I rest from your to-do list, uh, and I trust that God will come through and he'll run the world just fine if I rest. And uh, so again, it's going to be different for each one of us. What's rest for me, it might not be rest for you. Uh, So for example, working around the house is not rest for me. Uh, Reading a book is, however. Going to a library is, going to a museum is, is restful for me. Uh, but again, we're all built differently. But you had to rest the soil of your soul because you, you worked it all during the week. And so my unpaid work, which we all have lots of that, like fixing a car and paying the bills, uh, I do that on the other six days. That's why you can't work a 90-hour week in six days and have a Sabbath. 
you actually need to build into that other six days getting your unpaid work done. So you actually can have a, a Sabbath. So you stop your rest, but the key word in, in, in Sabbath is the word delight. And because uh, God delights on the first Sabbath, he he, he beams with delight when he, when he makes that, you know, he creates the, he has a Sabbath rest. And, and we too are invited to delight in all the wonderful gifts of the, of the world that God's put all around us. Uh, you know, food and people and music and nature and playfulness. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting. When I was a leader my first 17 years before I, you know, entered into what we call today emotionally healthy discipleship, I didn't do a lot of delight. I did a lot of work. My father was a workaholic. I was a workaholic. The only difference was I did it for Jesus, not the, ba- not the family bakery shop uh, like my father did or the baking business. And uh, so delight was a real uh, discipleship issue for me, to learn to delight and uh, food, delight in playing, delight in doing nothing, uh, delight in taking a nap. Uh, it, it was quite a journey for me uh, in the early years because, again, in my genogram of my family of origin, we did not do delight. Uh, American culture doesn't do delight real well. We, when we think of pleasure, we think of sin, uh, which is really sad since God's the author of pleasure. Then the fourth quality of, of a Sabbath is we call, I call it delight. I'm sorry, I call it contemplation, which basically means, contemplate means I want to see God uh, all around me. I want to see the invisible God in the visible physical creation around me. And I want to taste eternity. Uh, and so it's, again, it, 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 what makes a Sabbath so distinct from a day off is I'm aware of, uh, you know, I love the beach. When I go to the beach, or I, Jerry and I love hiking, we go hiking, we, we're in the woods, you know, and seeing trees and mountains. I, I'm, I recognize these are all gifts from God given for our pleasure uh, and the beauty and the wonder and the awe of whether it's an ocean, whether it's the sand, whether it's a baby's face, uh, it's just a wonder to behold. And so I, I taste eternity every Sabbath. In fact, every time you Sabbath, you actually taste your death because, you see, the world runs just fine. Uh, the, the world will be just fine when you die. It'll be fine when I die. God will keep building his kingdom. But every Sabbath, we stop, we rest, we delight, we contemplate God. Um, and we, we taste eternal life. And as one rabbi said years ago, if you don't enjoy the taste of eternal life and Sabbath, what makes you think you're going to enjoy it when you see him face to face? We're headed for an eternal Sabbath rest. We taste it on a weekly basis. And uh, one rabbis, I pointed out in the Talmud that one-seventh of every week is rest. Then one-seventh of every life is meant to be rest. That's 52 days a year. 3,640 days in 70 years, that's 10 years of Sabbath, uh, rest and reflection of a lifetime. I mean, it's wonderful. Or or think of it as a snow day, 10 years of snow days, uh, you know, one day a week. Sabbath is as radical today as it was 3,500 years ago when Israel came out of Egypt. Our entire culture, we value people on what do you do? And it goes against our culture, my flesh, our Christian training for many of us, our families of origin. And uh, again, it puts limits around our life. Uh, What an important theme. But nothing less than a command right there in the Ten Commandments has the power to intervene in our frenzied busyness. So this is not a dry duty. It's not an oppressive obligation. It's actually a delight and a gift to be received that God offers you. So let, let me just invite you to two very simple steps here. Decide that you want to Try it. You want to keep a Sabbath. You want to add that to your spiritual practice. I've yet to meet a Christ follower, a leader, who has an unhurried life in God who does not practice Sabbath on a regular basis. 
Uh, now listen, you got, it takes time to figure it out. Uh, you're gonna add, change, delete, uh, but you wanna set up once a 24 hour period, I, I can actually do this. Paul says in Romans 14, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what day you do, it just pick a day, a 24 hour period. Um, but you can actually stop and begin to experiment with it and then to establish a precise, deliberate beginning and an ending. And uh, you'll want to follow that Jewish, I, I'm going to encourage you, right? you may want to follow the Jewish tradition of beginning and ending at sundown, depending on, you know, Saturday night to Sunday night or Monday night to two, uh, Sunday night to Monday night, whatever works for you. I would say if you have a day off right now as a pastor, as a leader, take that day off and transform it into a Sabbath. I like in, in, ancient, in Israel today, even they will talk about their rules on Sabbath, not as legalism, but they see it as a container that protects the beauty of the day. And so the question for you is, how do you create a container to protect this gift that God has for you? So you want to make that 24-hour period different than the other six days. That's why it takes planning and thought. Give yourself a lot of grace to figure it out. Now, sadly, we don't have a community. We don't live in, you know, communities which kind of, you know, we honor Sabbath, you know, as a community. Like, say, the, you know, the Hasidic Jews do. The million Hasidic Jews are, live here in New York City. So we've got to create some kind of community around us. We have, I think we have as a leadership culture at New Life, and it's been really wonderful. Uh, but it's a revolutionary act, and very few people do it. Let me just read you a couple of testimonies from people as they were beginning to experiment with, with, with Sabbath. And because um, we actually did a... a a Lenten series on it and had people write in testimonies and and really trying to help our church kind of move into it. And uh, and here's what here's some testimonies that came forth. Uh, how I looked upon it yesterday, my first official attempt at Sabbath keeping, it was a complete and utter failure. The main lef- lesson, I must be prepared and ready for Sabbath. Another person wrote, we decided to prepare all week for this special time. My boyfriend described it as preparing for a party getting things done so that we could enjoy the big event. A Sunday sermon reminded me that Sabbath is for us, wrote another person. Imagine a relaxing, delightful day and then use that as the foundation for my Sabbath. That helps me avoid fashioning it into a lifeless stone tablet of commandments. Instead, I can build it from a place of joy. And when I'm full of joy, I'm not far from God. I'm currently out of work, another person wrote. And I thought I needed to work hard to earn my Sabbath, to deserve it. I don't know if anyone has felt that way about it, but if there's anyone uh, like me, I felt like I had to exhaust myself enough to deserve a 24-hour rest. But God in his mercy came down and gave to us, to me, what I did not deserve. Then finally, another person wrote this, their testimony. During the Sabbath, we're called to stop, rest, delight, contemplate. Tell me one thing in there that's productive or efficient. Yes, The Sabbath is a complete waste of time. It is also the absolute best use of time. I relinquish my delusional control over life and circumstances and relationships, and I trust God to take care of it all. And for that, I welcome this waste of time. So let me encourage you, experiment with it. Uh, And, and, you know, three resources for you to actually go some next steps. Uh, An Emotional Healthy Spirituality book at the course, uh, there's a great introduction to it. One of the chapters is Discover the, da- Discover the Rhythms of a Daily Office and Sabbath. The Emotionality Leader book, uh, which I wrote just two years ago, uh, expands on Sabbath. Uh, it's probably the best large explanation for Sabbath, especially written to leaders. I would encourage you to look at that. Some of you, it's chapter five of that book. And there's a great book written by a fellow named Mueller. It's simply called Sabbath. I consider it one of the best books written on Sabbath by Mueller. I encourage you to pick it up. It's got two, three-page devotionals to it. 
All right, we talked about daily office, daily Sabbaths. We talked about now weekly Sabbaths, and I want to just touch on, finally, uh, two other rhythms that I think are key. I believe are key and have been key for me. The third is uh, annual Sabbaths, moving vacations to sub, to longer Sabbaths before the Lord. Uh, and well, actually, I just said the same thing about holidays and Christmas. In other words, every time you have a vacation, say you take two weeks, three weeks, four weeks in the summer, uh, or you take a week between Christmas and New Year's, structure that week as a, a Sabbath to the Lord our God. Think of the Israelites. Three times a year, they went up to Jerusalem for a longer Sabbath, the national festivals, Passover, uh, you know, boots. And so they had these, you know, they would travel to Jerusalem. They'd have, you know, four, seven days of this Sabbath of the Lord our God, and they'd leave their work. And so in the same way, let me encourage you to structure, prepare your, quote, vacation and call it a Sabbath, a longer Sabbath of the Lord our God, so your soil can get refreshed. Again, think of you're working the soil of the land, and every seven years they had a sabbatical that the soil would get replenished with nutrients from God when it wasn't being worked. In the same way, your soil needs daily Sabbaths, weekly Sabbaths, and then longer Sabbaths during the year in which you actually stop, rest, delight, and contemplate so your soil can get replenished by God. And then finally, fourthly, is the concept of sabbaticals. Every seven to nine years, you actually take a longer period of time to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. I've actually had three sabbaticals uh, in my, um, I guess, almost 30 years here of leadership. And the principle actually comes from Israel, where, again, they would have seven years. They would work the land for six years, and every seventh year, they'd have a sabbatical. The land was not to be worked. And the understanding was the soil needed to be replenished by God, nutrients be poured into it by God when it was resting and doing nothing. There are things that happen inside of us when we're we stop and rest. That can happen no other way. There's revelation that comes to us. There's insights that come to us. We're actually changed. I was, I've been radically changed by my three sabbaticals. Uh, and it's it's I mean, it's just life-changing to get off of work completely. Uh, in fact, I've seen it now in other people as well. One of the folk, folks on our staff at New Life, um, I think of the different person he came back, uh, he, the different person he was when he came back from sabbatical was nothing short of astonishing. Uh, deeper rhythms, deeper walk with God, deeper revelation, everything was changed. I meet many people who quit their job and move to another job, quit pastors, quit their churches and go to another church. Because they actually, they're tired, they're feeling exhausted, and they don't know where to go from here. They actually need a sabbatical. The problem is they take another job somewhere else, and then they're still tired, and they find that I didn't get the rest I needed, I just changed my external circumstances. And I believe that if we would build in sabbaticals to our churches and our ministries, we would have much greater longevity, much greater fruitfulness, much greater creativity uh, long-term. I'm a great believer in the Benedictine value of, of stability. And uh, so I get, you may have a role where you say, I can't get a sabbatical. It is a, it is a war to get a sabbatical. So maybe you can't take three months or four months, but maybe you can take one or two months. You can shorten it. But I would really encourage you to think about not just your days having, you know, a rhythm, not just your weeks having a rhythm, not just your vacations having a rhythm, but also in your every seven to 10 years, a rhythm of a sabbatical rest. And I'm actually starting to think about my, my, my next one here. But the goal of all of life is what? It's abiding in Jesus. It's being with Jesus out of which all life flows. Because I cannot give what I don't possess. I can only give what I do possess. You know, Mother Teresa uh, laid down uh, for her nuns in their work among the sick and dying in Calcutta. 
she actually had this. She said every sister is to spend one day a week, you know, basically in prayer, one week a month, one month a year, and one year every six years in the mother house, uh, where in solitude they could gather spiritual strength, which she might have used up in service for the poor. Could you imagine a Sabbath every week, a Sabbath week every month, and a Sabbath month every year, and a Sabbath year every seven years? We consistently underestimate how much emotional, spiritual life flows out from us. We just give and we give and we give. It's violent sometimes to our own soil and soul. But if we're going to have the kind of impact that God intends for us, it's going to require we actually do less, not more. But there'll be a sharper Acts, Ecclesiastes 10.10, that flows out of our lives to those around us. So how aware are you of the life that's flowing out of you to others? You know, again, our bodies are major, not minor prophets. And if your body could speak, what would it say to you about the pace of your life today? And are your rhythms that you're in right now sufficient for what God has placed before you to do? And what might be one adjustment God's inviting you to make in your weekly, monthly, or annual rhythm? And often what worked for us maybe a year ago or three years ago or five years ago is not sufficient for the season in which we find ourselves now, or perhaps what God has called us to do. So again, let me encourage you to go to emotionallyhealthy.org, you know, learn more about emotionally healthy discipleship, integrate this into your life. We wanna do real discipleship, real leadership, real growth, and real mission for the glory of God. Thank you very much, it's been great to be with you. Look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you, bye-bye.